Take place this morning and turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter number 26. We'd like to read the first eight verses responsively this morning. That's Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 8. Allow me to read verses 1 and the succeeding odd numbered verses. Would you please read with me in unison verses 2 and the succeeding even numbered verses through verse number 8. Once again, that's Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 8, and reading responsively. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high, the lofty city. He layeth it low, he layeth it low, even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the foot of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way that justice uprightness, thou, most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, in the moments that we have this morning, Lord, I believe the most important moments of our weekly time, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts through the preaching of thy word this morning. Bless both the hearer and, Lord, bless the, those that might be here without Christ. May no one leave today without salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. We'll thank you for it. Lord, bless now, we pray, in the preaching of thy word. Again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah 26 again. Well, I've been using that word transition a lot lately, but we're going through some serious transition. We had a funeral yesterday of a member from 30-plus years ago. Uh, we had a week of, uh, two and a half weeks ago, we had like a four-day stretch where we had four people pass on that, uh, that were related to our church body in one way or another, of course. And then we packed up this, the, uh, the brewers uh, on Wednesday, and they shipped off to Pennsylvania. Now, they'll be, they're going to be here next week, by the way. <laughs> they're coming back for... For uh, Sunday, next Sunday, they'll be back with us. But uh, it seems like every week somebody's leaving, leaving, heading down south, and that's just the way it is, and it's okay, it's all right. Lord's on the throne. Of course, we lost our assistant a couple weeks ago, and uh, Eric is doing a good job. First, first time pension, uh, full, uh, the, 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 the full uh, service, of course, and so we're thankful for that. But, uh, and it's a beautiful day out there, by the way. It's hard to believe that a storm's coming in, but there's a storm coming in. I, I think you've probably heard of it. Dorian is his name. Is that a guy's name? Is that a guy's name? Dorian? I don't know. They, we have equal opportunity storms, I guess. It used to always be ladies' names, but now they're putting in guys' names. I don't know. Dorian, is that a guy or girl or boy's name? I don't even know. Whatever it is. It's Dorian's coming in. That's all I can tell you. Along that line here, actually a serious subject in the way, in at least the beginning, in the way of introduction, 
Isaiah 26, verse number 3, is a great verse. It could be a great text verse to preach on. We'll just touch on it. It's not our text verse, but it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Great verse. But verse number 4 is our text verse this morning. I was reading this a few days ago. In fact, I was reading this before I even thought of the storm. And it spoke to me. I said, I'm going to preach on this passage of Scripture. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, is everlasting strength. I need to give you some backdrop, a minute or two, hang with me, that the word of God might hopefully come alive to you this morning. This was written that first time in 712 B.C. Hezekiah was the king of Judah at the time. He was a good king. But there were bad people up north in the land of Assyria, what we know of today as modern-day Babylon, Iraq, of course, and and, uh, Iran. Their capital city was Nineveh. There was Shalmaneser. Then there was Sargon II, who reigned at this time, the writing of this scripture here. Uh, he reigned from 722 B.C. to 705 B.C. Now, Sargon II, for the record, you have to understand what happened one more time. It was 712 B.C. that this was written. In 722 B.C., ten years earlier, the ten northern tribes of Israel were wiped out. They were wiped off the map, essentially. They were, they were, they've been called the lost tribes of Israel ever since. And it was the Syrians. They made the Nazis look like Sunday school children. The Assyrians were the most brutal nation at this time in world history, for sure, and one of the brutal, probably the most brutal nation that's ever been evolved in history. Sargon II was their king. Then he would turn over the throne. He would die in 705, and Sennacherib would come to the throne from 705 to 681, which we'll read about, Lord willing, in this we journey through this message. But the northern kingdom is no more. Hezekiah is king of the southern kingdom, just two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, just one major city, the capital city, Jerusalem, and it's been besieged. And this writing is written at this time when, when, when there was a storm of mag, magnanimous or of great proportion, catastrophic proportion going on in Judah. They had nothing, nothing was going their way. Everything, the storm was, Egypt had been destroyed. All the nations around them had been subjugated to the Assyrians, and the only last holdout was little old Jerusalem and little old Hezekiah, king of just a few poor people and a few people that are captive hiding behind 50-foot walls ready to be destroyed at any time. This is the context of this writing of this scripture, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And I was thinking I made a mistake of calling, uh, it wasn't really a mistake, but on Friday I called down to Florida to my old, one of my old pastors, Pastor Bob Crichton, which many of you know, and he's right about 100 miles north of, uh, of uh, Fort Lauderdale, right at that time in the exact eye of the storm. Now, I understand the eye is, is fluctuating, of course, out there in the Atlantic. We don't know where it's going to, landfall is going to hit. I asked him, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm buttoning up my house. I'm putting plywood on my windows. I said, oh, I have the wrong time to call you here. You're busy. And, uh, but he said, no, no, I got time for you. And we talked, and he, he says, I'm buttoning my house, and I'm fleeing. We've got a mandatory evacuation. And uh, he's got a storm. storm. Well, you know, he did move to Florida after all. That's what happens in August and September. You know that. As a matter of fact, we call it hurricane season. And I want to give you, as I pondered on this 
these verses here and I perused and meditated on these verses of the storm that was going to hit Judah, I thought of several reminders of storms first of this morning here. Psalm 57, verse 1, you need not turn it. Let me just read it to you for time's sake. The Bible says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be passed. Anybody have a calamity in your life? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to see it. <laughs> Anybody have a storm in your life? Anybody had a storm in your life? All of our hands would go up, wouldn't they? The fact of the matter is, point number one, reminder number one about storms is everybody goes through storms. Everybody has them. You know, if you think you're the only person that has storms, you think you're the only person that has a rough time, think of the person next to you. They got to put up with you after all. <laughs> I'm just busting on you. They got storms in their life too, you know. I was uh, praying with Pastor Parmar yesterday, and uh, I said that, you know, it was last week was my birthday, I said I'm going to not talk about being old any longer, but uh, I can't help myself. <laughs> One week's gone by, and, I, and uh, I'm complaining about my physical well-being, of course, and it's not as, I'm not as strong as I used to be. And, uh, but every time I get with Pastor Parmar, I get humbled because he's got those ongoing headaches that he's been dealing with for several years now, of course, and he's and uh, through some serious pain in his life. And so I'm reminded when I go through my storms that somebody else is going through storms in their life as well. In Mark chapter 4, verse 37, the disciples had, had just fed the 5,000. And they, in verse 37, it says they, they were on that sea that they knew so well, that Sea of Galilee. I've been there. I've done that. I've been on the, been on the lake. It's a 5 by 13 mile long lake. And it can be tumultuous with winds and storms. And the Bible says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, and so it was now full. And, 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 and he was in the, that's Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship. And the Bible tells us he was asleep. I ask you the question, Peter and James, and uh, I've been to their city, of course, the town, the ruins are still there of Capernaum, right on the northern shore of Galilee. He grew up on the lake, he grew up fishing all his entire life. Do you think this was the first storm that Peter and James and the disciples had ever been in on the Sea of Galilee? They'd been in many other storms as well. I want you to think of the storm that you're currently going through right now and ask yourself the question, were you, have you been through storms before? Of course you have been. We've all been through storms before. Sometimes they get um, bigger, sometimes smaller, but we've all been through storms. The Bible says that Jesus during this storm was asleep and the Bible even inserts these words here, and every word of God is there for a reason. The Bible says in Mark 8, 438 again, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. <laughs> the Lord was enjoying himself. He had a, I don't know if he had a my pillow or not, but he was, uh, he was enjoying his sleep on the, while the, 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 the storm was going on. He's the master of the wind. He's the creator. He created the storm. He's going to create the calm here in a few moments as well. But I want you to notice in regards reminders that everyone goes through storms. And storms, the storms you're going through, it's not the first storm you've had, nor will it be the last storm that you'll, you'll probably have. There's storms. The disciples were just in another storm. And storms come and go. And then they asked the question in Mark 4.38. They asked the Lord. They said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care that we're, we're going to die here? The Bible says, the psalmist said, no man cares for my soul. No man cared for my soul. I ask you the question, does Jesus care? The answer is, oh, yes, he cares. He knows the storm that you're going through. 
Verse 39 of Mark 4 says, And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. The Bible says, And there was a great calm. The Bible says that they asked the question, Care so not that we perish. Yesterday we had a funeral, as I mentioned, and they perished. Probably figured that out. They lost their battle with stage four cancer. Eventually, the storm, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come and take us in the rapture, we're going to be taken by a storm. Maybe a storm, maybe a heart attack, maybe a cancer, maybe, maybe old age, maybe an accident of some sort, an automobile accident. But we're going to be taken. One day, a storm is going to take us. And then maybe you say, preacher, that's pretty depressing. Well, everybody goes through storms, and one day a storm is going to come and take us all or carry us away too. And it's the point when a man wants to die. So reminder number one about storms, everyone goes through storms. Don't think you're the only one. Don't think this is the only storm that you ever go through. You've already been through several and you'll be through a number more probably. You say, preacher, I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged by this message already. Thank you. But I want you to notice number two, a second reminder about storms is as Israel was going through the storm and back in Isaiah 26, and we'll just, just let me allow me to allude to it. God inserted these two verses, verses 3 and 4 I'm referring to specifically, to let them know, hey, I'm going to keep you in perfect peace. I'm going to take care of you. Just keep on trusting in me. But uh, they were, everything around them was falling apart. So understand this, reminder number two about some storms, that trusting God enough, uh, trust God enough when things are completely falling apart. I don't know about you, but I take encouragement in knowing that some of the great saints of days gone by, they were in times of catastrophe, in times of calamity, in times where things were falling apart in their life. Take David, for example. David lived to be 70, 71, 72 years of age, we believe. Well, we know, actually. I did a very detailed history study of David over a year and a half, and came to the conclusion that he had at least 40 of his years, 40 of his years was full of troubles, storms, and calamities in his life. He had calamities in the beginning of his life, in the middle of his life, and at the end of his life for years. And he wrote these words in 2 Samuel 2, 22 and verse 1. Just listen to them, please, for time's sake. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said... The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. The God, of my rock, the, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. In 2 Samuel 22 and verse 5, the Bible says, David said, When the waves of death, the waves of death come past me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Sometimes it feels like everybody and everything, everybody's all against you. There's just no deliverance whatsoever. Uh, David said, the psalmist said, rather in Psalm 142 and verse number 4, No man would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Sometimes everybody is against you. Sometimes everything is against you. Sometimes everything is falling apart and there's no hope. We're just celebrated an anniversary of sorts. We're coming up on 20 years that we've been in this building now. This is our third building. And I go back to 
our second building, go back many, many years ago now. And I think of that, uh, I remember, I, for you that were not there, just a handful of you were in this room were, were there, we remember the building. The auditorium is smaller than our foyer. And I remember uh, when the, we had nothing. We had no money, we had, no, we had very few people, we had no denomination. And we had two churches of denominations trying to buy out our little humble building on 624 Torrington West Street. And uh, I remember sitting in the back row of the church. I've told the story many times. It's a very sacred moment for me. And I was, uh, I ended up composing a letter to the buyers, the sellers. I remember the old Smith Corona typewriter. We were back in this is pre-computer days. And I, I typed out, I probably typed it out three times because I made so many mistakes. But I typed out this real heart-rending letter about how we didn't have any money and we're Christians and we're trying to do a work for God, and uh, would you please sell us this building? It's $155,000 piece of property and building for $100,000. I wrote the letter and sent it off, and I got a letter back very pretty quickly from a fellow that didn't care for me at all, and uh, I don't know why he didn't care for me, but he didn't care for me. He didn't like Baptist, evidently. He didn't like me, for sure. And he wrote me a letter, and two, two sentences letter. I wish I had that letter somewhere, but he said, the price remains at $100,000. We're not interested in your offer of or the price remains $155,000. We're not interested in your offer of $100,000. I don't know why I offered them $100,000, because we didn't have $1,000, let alone $100,000. But uh, I was so depressed, and I sat back in the back row, and I remember the church, a little tiny building, and I remember I started to cry, and uh, Tim, Tim Mosley, you know, maybe four or five people who know that name, just happened to walk in right during that time, and we sat down. Every time Tim and I get together 30-something years later, Tim always usually brings that up, and in conversation. Remember that time? And the real estate agents were coming in right after that time there, and I thought, Lord, there's no way we can ever get this building. This, Lord, we can't. It's too much for us, too hard for us. And uh, within two weeks of getting that letter, we had a contract on our building for $100,000. Then we just had to come up with $100,000. <laughs> and, of course, Lord, we really came up with $30,000 down payment. That was a miracle all in and of itself, and that's another time, another story. But God's able to deliver us no matter deliver you no matter uh, when everything seems to be falling apart. Number three, maybe you're going through a storm in your life and you say, preacher, you don't understand, this is not a category one or two, this is a category five. This is, off the, this is off the charts. Never let the size of the storm intimidate you. Never let the size of your storm intimidate you. Jonathan, when he went up to battle with this young armor bearer, one man against some 20 Philistines, he said to the young man that bare his armor in 1 Samuel 14, 6, Come and let us go over up uh, unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. The storm doesn't matter to God. God is bigger than any, the, the biggest problem, the biggest storm that you have in your life. The Ethiopian army came against uh, Asa in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11. They were outnumbered. They were as... Uh, the Bible says that Ethiopians had a million-man army. And Asa cried unto the Lord and said, It is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with, or with them that have no power. Help us, Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against us or against, against thee. And so uh, we see this, that size doesn't matter. Don't let the size of the storm intimidate you. Several weeks ago now, it was July, we were traveling back, and I gave the story once, but we stopped at uh, already, I gave the story about stopping in Fredericksburg 
uh, Virginia for church. You step to the Faith Baptist Church. If you get off of the main drag, it's like going to Manchester, Connecticut, into the mall, shopping mall area. It's where all the stores and all the restaurants are at. It's the main road uh, through Fredericksburg there. And the, the most prominent building is not the mall or not the, 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 the fancy restaurants. The most prominent building on the strip is the Faith Baptist Church. $15 million, maybe $20 million, I don't know how many millions of dollars of buildings. The Faith Baptist Church has a, the Veritas College. It has the, the Christian Day School, of course. It has a vibrant church, several hundred members, to say the least, probably maybe in the th low thousands, I don't know. And Dr. Don Forrester is the founder of that church about 50 years ago. When Don Forrester was a 10-year-old boy, he grew up in a Christian family. He longed to be a pastor, longed to be a preacher, but he lost his eyesight at 10 years old, 100% blind. And I watched him two days after his 70th birthday as he preached from a braille, no, braille notes the whole time he preached. And he, he built that church, God built that church, with a blind man. Uh, with a storm of life against him. His illustrations, he's a very good preacher, don't misunderstand me, but his illustrations were very simple. Anything he had, he's been able to read since the age of 10 has been read by Braille, or he's had to listen to. And as he was preaching, I said, he didn't have the advantages that I had of going to college, and uh, I'm sure he went to college. And I don't want to interject for, or su suggest for one second that he's not as intelligent as I am. He's far more intelligent, I'm afraid. I'm sure of it. But little as much when God is in it. God's able to take, a, take, uh, take us with our infirmities and bless us and, and beyond belief. And I, I thought this question, and I, I suppose that there's no way we'll ever know the answer to it. We won't know the answer to it. But I wonder if Faith Baptist Church would have built that beautiful multi-million dollar facility and had thousands of people come to church and to have a Christian day school and the college if Don Forrester didn't have to go through the storm of becoming blind. If he, if he had all sight, maybe he would have walked by sight, not by faith. Maybe God couldn't, maybe God couldn't bless him. But when the storm, remember the storm, the, the story of Gideon and Gideon's, we say Gideon's, what, what's the number? Gideon's what? 300, right? Not 32,000, not 10,000, but 300. God delights in using the small, little as much when God is in it. Never let the size of your storm intimidate you. God's ready to do something great. And, and, and it doesn't matter. The storm and size doesn't matter to him, big or small. Then number four, understand this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh, as you know. Probably he was going blind, we think. We don't know that for a fact, but we think so. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Reminder number four in regards to storms in your life. Remember, God will never give you more than his grace can bear. His grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. The songwriter said it this way, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he is multiplied peace. Perfect peace. Verse 2 says, when we have exhausted our store of endurance... I published in the bulletin, and I'm waiting for somebody. I've been saying this for years now, for... Nobody's taking me up on it. 
Uh, we published in our bulletin the amount of mortgage money that we owe on our, our church building right now. I think it's like 314000 at the moment. I'm waiting for somebody to write a check for 314000 paid off. And all God's people said, Amen. will you be that one? <laughs> I remember the days when we used to owe almost a million dollars. And uh, I remember, and uh, you know, I've been paying for 36 years. I've been pastor for 34 years, but I've been paying 36 years of mortgage payments. Or we've been paying for 36 years of mortgage payments. Paid for two, almost two years double payments, or double on two mortgages. And I'm tired of paying it. And it's like, God, I want you to just pay it off. I know all these churches that are paid off. I mean, uh, Victory Baptist Church in uh, down there in North Carolina paid off their mortgage, a million and a half dollars of mortgage. They paid it off. Somebody came forward and gave the last $30,000 like three months ago. That's how they were able to hire Caleb. <laughs> they don't have a mortgage any longer. So I want somebody to pay off a mortgage. Now I'm teasing, but just a little bit. I really want somebody to do it, but probably won't happen. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we have reached the end of our hoarded resources, see, I want money in the bank. I don't want to pay. I want to I have. But our Father's full giving has only begun. God has always taken care of us. I've said that as a broken record for 34 years. God's always taken care of us, and he always, always has. I think he probably always will. I think that he might have enough store grain in his store bin to take care of our, our present needs. Charles Spurgeon, one of his famous sayings was, if there, were, if, if there were an ant at the door of your granary begging for help, it wouldn't ruin you to give him a grain of your wheat. You are but a tiny insect at the door of God's all-sufficiency. God's able to take care of our every need because his grace is sufficient for us. Then fifthly, I want you to understand this. Why? Well, a fifth reminder in the storm. Be reminded that God will never give you more than his grace can bear. Be reminded that the size of the storm doesn't intimidate God at all. Be reminded that when, to trust God when things are completely falling apart. Be reminded that everybody goes through storms. But number five, Hebrews 13.5 says, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness. We get in trouble because of our covetousness many times. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He promises that he will never forsake you no matter what you are going through. And we quote it all the time. We quote it so much we almost, we almost uh, divorce it from We almost can say it without even thinking the words. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what, no matter what you go through, back to our text for just a moment here, back to Isaiah 26. He said, in that day shall there be the song, of, song sung in the land of Judah. We have salvation, verse number two, verse number one says. And then it says, verse number three, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Understand, there's, we stay, we, uh, he gives us a perfect peace in the midst of the storm. Not out of the storm, but in the midst of the storm. Then he gives us perfect strength, verse number four. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Deuteronomy 33 and verse number 27 reminds us that and underneath are his everlasting arms. He's always there to take care of us. He's got everlasting strength. He promises 
that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God's faithful. He says he keep us in perfect peace. He says for those that are in perfect peace, rather, for those that have perfect trust. But then those sixthly, we haven't got to the succeeding chapters yet of Isaiah 26. And by the way, I didn't tell you, I should have mentioned this at the outset of the message. Isaiah 24 to 27, back to the introduction for one moment. It's called the Isaiah Apocalypse because it's full of prophecies and condemnations against Edom and Moab and Assyria and future, future uh, Babylon. And all of those nations are going to be no more. It's, it's, it's the Isaiah Apocalypse. God says they were all strong during this time. He said, I'm going to wipe them all out. They're, they're, they'll be, they're, they're all going to be gone. And, it's, and then this Isaiah apocalypse has promises. And we're going to get to some of the promises in just a promise in a moment. I want you to know, though, as he said these words, verses 3 and 4, that uh, thou would keep him in perfect peace and trust in the Lord, uh, trust in the Lord forever. Know for sure that your current storm will pass. No matter what you're going through, the Bible tells us 449 times it has that phrase, and it came to pass. This too shall pass. You're going through the loss of a loved one, this too shall pass. You're going through a hard financial time, this too shall pass. You're going through loss of health, this too shall pass. You're going through disappointments, this too shall pass. Now there's a there's a qualification, though. It's to those whose mind is stayed on thee, to those who trust in thee. The qualification is for the Christian. The qualification is for someone who knows the Lord as his Savior. That leads me to point number seven, seventh reminder about the storms. That is, take courage. You are probably closer to deliverance and a miracle than you think. Turn over, if you would, please, now quickly to Isaiah 37 and look at this body of Scripture here. It's a long chapter. We only have time to glance at a few verses and let me summarize. Hezekiah is still the king. The year is about 697. A dozen years have passed since the writing of Isaiah 26. Judah's been in subjugation to Assyria all this whole time. In Sennacherib, as the king of Assyria has now besieged the city of Jerusalem. And he has 185,000 men outside the city gates. I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen those old city walls. There's some places, most places are 40 foot, some foot high. They got siege towers 50, 60 feet high. They were built to last. But even an army of 185,000 besieging you for three years can do a great work of uh, and can plunder in many cities, of course, were, were taken by the Assyrian onslaught as Jerusalem was about to be taken. And Hezekiah went and he got help from Pharaoh Necho from Egypt. This is real history. You can read about this not only in the Bible, but it's read obviously in secular history as well. And Israel tried to buy off Egypt to, pay, to fight for them. Of course, they were wiped out by the Assyrians. And all the known world around, the, around Jerusalem was all all subjugated to Assyria and all under Assyrian control, Nazi control, if you want to call it that way. Except for one little spot on the map, that city of Jerusalem. 
And Hezekiah, with a few poor people that's referenced in Isaiah 26, is with him. And he has no place else to turn, but he turns to the God of Jehovah God. And he begins to pray in Isaiah chapter 37, verse number 16. It take me too long to read all the verses, but it says in verse number 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, thou that art the God, even, even thou alone, of all kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Snacherib, which, which hath sent to reproach the living God. And he keeps on praying for another three verses here. Incredible prayer. And we get to verse number 36 for time's sake of chapter 37. And the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and fourscore and and five thousand. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. God sent one angel to take care of 185,000 seasoned veteran soldiers. He took care of them. And one night, we read it later on that, that Sennacherib goes back to, uh, back to his homeland, of course, and he's later on killed by his own, own son's son, of course. Understand this, that take courage, that your greatest deliverances and miracles, uh, that you're closer to deliverance and a miracle than you think. One night they were all ready to be overtaken. The next minute they were they were they were they were uh, they were rescued, of course, and they were liberated from their enemies, of course. So know that your miracle is nearer than you might think. And the God the God has given you miracles. And I want you to think for just a moment the miracles in your life that you've had. Who did that? God did it. The miracles in your life, and ask yourself this question, is, are your miracles, are they gone now forever? Are there more miracles? Your greatest miracles are yet ahead. It leads me to my last point. We must go back to where we started in Isaiah 26. One last time, verse number one. There's a phrase that we just kind of gloss over really very fast, but we gloss over it, but we find this phrase hundreds of times in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. The phrase is, in that day. In what day? It's a future day. In that day shall, there, shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. I want you to notice this morning that a reminder of the storm that you're going through, no matter how big the storm is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how long it is, no matter how many people are against you, how many things are against you, the day is coming, the day of salvation is close at hand. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 11, and knowing that t- the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Jim Hill wrote the song, There is coming a day when no heartaches shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that blessed, peaceful shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. I end with a I have to be careful here. I had a funeral yesterday for the third time. Small funeral, about 40 people or so. People don't go to funerals anymore. That's another story. People don't have funerals anymore. But we had about 40 people here. I'm sure there were several believers, but there were, I'm sure there were several, more than several non-believers. And I was giving the, the, the eulogy, of course, and I was preaching about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And I heard some sniffling and some tears and some, so forth. And 
the tears came from people that I, in my estimation, didn't know the Lord Jesus as Savior and there's no more hope. Because as far as they're concerned, their loved one is gone forever and they're going to be gone someday forever too. Well, the, the storm, the thief, or rather the rich man in the story of the rich man Lazarus, he's still crying. He still has weeping and gnashing of teeth. The storm doesn't lift for those that are not in Christ. The storm lifts for those that have found salvation in Jesus Christ. We are on the winning side, and Christ is, there's salvation is closer than when we believed. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, really, this message, like most messages, have been to geared towards Christians. Lord, this world's not our home. We're just passing through. This too shall pass. Our three score and ten will go by, and we will be no more on this earth. We'll be ushered into thy presence. But Lord, until then, you promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you're bigger than any storm that comes into our life. The Lord, you can deliver at a moment's notice in your way, in a miraculous way, with one angel, you can deliver. Lord, we thank you for all the deliverances that you've given us, and Lord, for the many more that you'll still have in store for us. But help us to keep our faith. Help us to have perfect peace, to find a state on thee. Help us to trust you in Lord Jehovah forever, knowing that you are our everlasting strength, not our bank account, not our relatives not our ease of living in America, but you, Lord, you are our salvation, you are our deliverance, and one day we'll see you, and one day it'll be, we'll sing the song, it was worth it all. Lord, help us to be found faithful to thee, we pray, we pray, bless in our moments of reflection and invitation this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand, page 91 in the hymn book, page 91, there's only two verses, so we'll sing both.